You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. A busy news Wednesday, a lot of strife in the world. You saw yesterday on justthenews.com that Russian jets, at least according to our Pentagon, forced down an American drone. Today, European fighter jets scrambled to scare off or ward off some Russian jets in the region. Tensions are rising all across the globe. The idea that American leadership could bring peace through strength seems more in doubt today than at any point in our recent history. And just keep read up on these things. It's a very tumultuous time in history and the world, the alignments that are getting together, Iran, Russia, China, aligning and North Korea aligning more than I've seen in my lifetime. An alignment that a lot of intelligence officials doubt it could ever happen seems to be getting closer. You know, again, it might break apart. There are some reasons the four sides might want to stay a little bit apart from each other, too. But right now, they're more of an alliance than we've seen in a long time. And the world seems to be more turbulent, more uncertain. And uh, we're going to keep on top of it at justthenews.com. Be sure to check out. Now, here's something else that seems to be a lot less certain. The government's And when I talk about the government, I mean from the federal all the way down to the state and local level, the government's observation of the Second Amendment, that it is an absolute right, an inalienable right, as our founding fathers said when they created the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Lots of different things going around in the country. Yesterday, Joe Biden issued an executive order targeting guns on a lot of different fronts in Washington state, in many other states around the country. New legislations imposing longer wait times to legally buy arms, concerns that maybe some databases are coming in. There's the pistol brace ATF rule, a massive growth proposed by Joe Biden in the ATF's enforcement expenditures. All of this has Second Amendment advocates very, very worried in Congress, in state houses, in federal firearm licensee communities, lots to worry about. So we're going to bring on the start today, Eric Pratt, vice president from Gun Owners of America. He's involved in some of the most consequential litigation, uh, particularly in New York and in many other states around this country. Of course, you get the Illinois gun law, too, which is being challenged on a lot of fronts as well. So Mark's going to get us up to date on that. We'll be really excited to hear that. In the second block, we're going to bring in an interesting guest. Mark Schifanelli just wrote a book. 
it's consistent with some studies I've been reading that we're going to, in fact, one of those is going to be written about in a story tomorrow on Just the News, that for some reason, liberal young people are far more depressed than conservative young people. And people who spend more time online and social media tend to walk away more depressed than those who aren't. We want to get to the bottom of that. Mark Schiffinelli has a brand new book out. Everybody's talking about it. Also, a very interesting article. We're going to tackle that in the second part of the show. Is it possible and it certainly is, that we're creating an entire generation of depressed liberals who are unable to function and they're being bombarded by social media, political hate, even on college campuses, intolerance, anti-Semitism. We're going to tackle that with Mark Schiffinelli. And then we're going to finish up with Mike Falklander. He is one of my favorite voices on all things economics, professor at University of Maryland and the chief economist for the America First Policy Institute. He's got some theories about the direct line between Joe Biden spending and the bank collapses. Now, there's a couple hops you got to go through to understand the linkage. But it is big spending equals big inflation, big inflation equals big interest rate hikes. Big interest rate rates equal downturns in the vulnerable tech innovation sectors of the economy. And of course, those are the ones that banks lost a lot of money on and now have gone belly up like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. So Mike's going to walk us through that economic line of peril in the third block of the show today. We've got three great guests back to back to back. We're going to kick things off with Eric Brack from Gun Owners of America right after this commercial break. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or visit 
TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As we reported yesterday on Just the News, Joe Biden has issued some new executive orders cracking down on gun ownership in America, almost certainly touching off another round of litigation. Uh, the president hasn't fared very well in the early litigations uh, against this stuff, but he's nonetheless doubling down on his efforts to use the power of his office to do what Congress hasn't done. That's creating a lot of problems for him. We have the perfect first guest to bring us up to speed on this. He's the senior vice president of Gun Owners of America, and he's our good friend, Eric Patty joins us now. Eric, Great to have you back on the show. John, so good to be with you. Thanks. Another big day for executive power overreach. Uh, Joe Biden uh, goes to California and signs another executive order. Tell us what this order tries to do and the legal peril it's probably going to crash into. Absolutely. Well, you know, I I should note it's a bit ironic because Joe Biden signed these executive orders in the very town where a mass killing occurred this year, Monterey Park, California. So he's trying to draw attention to that. But apparently Biden hasn't caught the irony because California has the strictest gun control in the country. And yet the FBI says they have more mass shootings, more active shooter incidents than any other state. So their gun control is not working. I mean, California has universal background checks, which is exactly what Biden is trying to accomplish with this executive action but they have you know so-called assault weapon bans they have red flag gun confiscation laws i mean california has imposed everything that joe biden is seeking to implement and yet it doesn't work and by the way it's not just here you know germany has far more gun control than even in california but it didn't stop their horrific school shooting last week because gun control only disarms good guys, whereas criminals always ignore the laws and still get guns. So really, Biden is the villain here because he's slashing our Second Amendment. But so are Senators John Cornyn and Mitch McConnell, because they pushed the legislation last year that Biden is now implementing via executive order. So, yeah, certain Republicans share part of the blame as well. It is a head scratcher that the party that has really been a great defender of the Second Amendment for most of the last quarter century now seems to have, at least on the Senate side, lost a little bit of its defense of the Second Amendment. And we're reminded time and again that if the gun's not available, a person intending on creating mass mayhem or mass harm just turns to another weapon. In uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, it was a car. In other places, it's been a machete. There is this failure to recognize that the person and its intent is what's driving the crime, not, not the weapon of choice. And it just seems so odd. What do you think happens with this executive order? What's the easiest line of attack that gun owners of America is going to make in claiming that the president doesn't have this authority? Well, uh, number one, he's circumventing Congress in going beyond, even though he is basing it on what uh, Congress has done. And, And this is the thing where we need to hold these legislators accountable. And I'm talking about people like Senators John Cornyn of Texas, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Mitt Romney of Utah. We warned them that what they were supporting could result in backdoor universal background checks. They ignored us. And guess what? We were right. Because now that's what Biden is trying to do. He's trying to get as close as possible to making every transfer of a gun 
require a background check. So here's the problem. You know, let's say you have a friend who's being stalked and you provide her a gun. You say, here's a firearm to keep yourself safe. Well, guess what? You're now facing five years in jail and a $250,000 fine because you transferred that firearm without a background check. I mean, really, should people go to jail for being good Samaritans? I mean, that's the ugly face of gun control. It punishes the law-abiding while failing to keep bad guys from getting guns. And, oh, by the way, bad guys even still go through the background check system. The, you know, we were just talking about the Monterey Park killer uh, in California this January. He passed the background check to get his gun. So the very thing Biden is calling for would have done nothing to stop killers like him and the Buffalo and Uvalde killers last year who also passed universe, uh, who, who passed background checks. It is a head scratcher. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think most Americans realize, listen, there's something else going on here. There are things we can do to identify people who are mentally ill or, or likely moving towards a devolving into a, a violent act. And none of the focuses or very little of the focus is on mental health and the warning signs. It all seems to be over something that doesn't ever solve the problem. When you look at, there was another element to what Biden said yesterday, which is he wants the Federal Trade Commission to look at the advertising that the gun industry does to minors to get them introduced to the Second Amendment and their freedoms. This seems to run into the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. Your thoughts on that element of his regulatory assault? Oh, you're, you nailed it. That's right. Why should they be held accountable uh, for marketing a constitutionally protected product. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, if you fire the gun and it blows up in your face, they should be held liable. And by the way, they, uh, manufacturers can be held liable for that. But what they're, tr what they're aiming for is trying to punish gun makers for producing a legal product that's used by criminals. I mean, that would be like punishing Ford because a drunk driver runs somebody over. And really what they're getting at is, is this underlying idea that there's too many guns. And that's why they're going after the gun industry like this, that they're trying to reduce the number of guns. But, you know, we who favor the Second Amendment need to consider this, that the number of guns increased by over 400 million guns in a recent 25-year period. I mean, that's astounding. And yet the murder rate during that period dropped almost 40%. So literally, we have had more guns and yet less crime. And, uh, you know, if, if there's really a problem in terms of, you know, all those guns and so why aren't they being used more in self-defense? Well, there are a lot of laws that restrict where you can carry those firearms. There's lots of gun-free zones around the country. And it's not just those places that are gun-free zones, but if you you know, let's say you make a park, a gun-free zone, then that means a person's travel to that park, or if it's a theater or whatever, their travel to that place and back now becomes a gun-free zone. Because if they know they're going to that place and they want to be law-abiding, they're not going to carry a firearm. So gun-free zones have really had a chilling effect on keeping people from protecting themselves who otherwise would be available to protect themselves with a firearm. Yeah, common sense has just left the room on a lot of these conversations. One of the trends we've been noticing at Just the News 
is a move in several states, Colorado, Washington State, among them, to lengthen the waiting period before someone could take possession of a gun they buy. I think it's 10 days in Washington State. And Washington State has a second element that caught my attention, which is there looks to be the effort to start collecting data on every firearm transfer, which could potentially lead to a firearms database, an owner's database, which the left has long wanted. And of course, courts have ruled would not be constitutional. Tell us what's going on in these states and what you're doing to try to push back against it. Well, you know, obviously waiting periods, I mean, we shouldn't be putting wait times on constitutionally protected rights. Uh, That's a problem. And oh, by the way, good people end up dying. I mean, we remember the phrase, a right delayed is a right denied. I can give you many examples, and particularly it's women who have either been killed or raped during the waiting period when they were waiting to get their firearm. Uh, specifically because of government delays. And it's a very uh, sad, tragic thing. Government should not be delaying honest people when, you know, if they think it's going to stop criminals from getting guns, think again. I mean, you know, they're going to do it anyway. So, yeah, all these uh, bills that you're mentioning that are coming up, uh, we are uh, alerting our grassroots member. We're uh, trying to get these bills killed before they become law, because obviously it's it's a lot easier and cheaper to do it that way. If they end up passing into law, you know, we've got a lot of lawsuits that we've launched around the country where we're challenging uh, these gun control laws. The most notable one is probably the, the one in New York where they just, uh, yeah, they just flipped the bird to the Supreme Court after the, the, the tremendous Supreme Court decision last year, and they repassed their draconian restrictions on concealed carry so much to the point that the governor there in New York said, yeah, there's probably a couple streets that people can carry a firearm. I mean, that's how bad their law is. So anyway, we're, by the way, we'll be in court next week. And uh, in fact, I'll be there in uh, New York City uh, for that case. So we're having a hearing there. We're very optimistic about our chances in that as we uh, eventually may wind up before the Supreme Court. Yeah, man, there's no doubt about it. Earlier in the week, I had a great conversation with Congressman Andrew Clyde from the great state of Georgia, and he raised a lot of concern about the growth in the ATF budget that President Biden just proposed. I think it's an extra $2 billion, 50% larger than the Obama administration, 13% year over year. What's going on here with that level of increase at the ATF? This is a real concern because the ATF quite literally is out of control with what the, the, the Biden has proposed for the ATF. Ultimately, they would be at a 50 percent higher level than under the Obama administration. And they're using that money to go after gun dealers and put them out of business. Uh, that's a problem, because if you can't find people to buy a gun from, uh, your Second Amendment rights have been uh, greatly uh, diminished. There, uh, Biden wants to give the ATF more money for enforcing the pistol brace ban. That's an, another uh, one of his executive orders that we're challenging in court. Uh, they are using uh, this increase in money to register our firearms purchases. They are uh, very quickly 
digitizing every 4473 form. What that is, that's the form that you fill out when you purchase a firearm. It has your name, your social security number, as well as the serial number of the gun and the type of firearm that you purchase. And so what's the problem with a registration list like that? Well, all around the world and even in our own country, registration has been a prelude to gun confiscation. In in our country, that happened in New York City. Uh, In fact, we're even seeing that with the pistol brace ban, where uh, the president uh, has banned uh, just up to 40 million uh, firearms. And given the fact that they have these 4473 forms, they can easily enforce that with gun confiscation. So this is very concerning. We're working with Representative Clyde and others to cut that. Ultimately, we want to abolish the ATF. But right now, we are working hard to slash their funding as opposed to Biden getting his wish and increasing funding for this rogue agency. Yeah, the numbers are just extraordinary in growth. I mean, I think when President Trump took office in 2017, the budget for ATF was like 1.25, 1.20 billion. And now it's nearly closing in on 2 billion if Joe Biden gets his way. That is a an astounding growth in a budget for any federal agency, particularly a discretionary federal agency. So a lot there that is getting attention. As you look out over the next few weeks, obviously you had some big arguments. I think it was in the Eighth Circuit yesterday. A lot of litigation, a lot of fronts, a lot of early victories. I assume that some of these cases are going to go back to the Supreme court because it doesn't appear states took note of the Supreme Court's last ruling. Is that where we're headed, you think? Yes, I absolutely think so. And we're glad uh, to do this. The uh, Where we were yesterday was in Minnesota, yes, in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. And uh, we think those arguments went very well, very well received by the justices. Uh, this was challenging the first executive order that Biden issued on guns, the so-called frame and receiver, uh, banning certain firearms from being sold, uh, basically, uh, you know, like homemade firearms, that type of thing without a background check, but also more significantly, uh, really solidifying the gun registry. Uh, It used to be in the law that you could Uh, Dealers, when they go out of business, could uh, destroy uh, many of their 4473 forms, the ones that were over 20 years old. Well, that requirement has now been done away with by this executive order, and those all 4473 forms have to be sent in to the ATF, and this is part of that registry that they're compiling. So this is a very important case that we're uh, taking uh, uh, in the uh, Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's absolutely fascinating to watch the litigation because the Supreme Court has pretty much given absolute clarity on this issue. And yet you time and time and time and time again have to go back to the courts to get something that's already been reaffirmed, reaffirmed. It's it's got to be frustrating. What are the biggest things you're watching as we wrap up here or just real quick? What are some of the biggest movements, trend lines that you're trying to keep an eye on over the next six months that, you know, Second Amendment champions, lawful gun owners should be watching? Well, I think one of the biggest things is red flag laws. Uh, the Biden White House is spending over $200 million to fund these gun confiscation orders around the country and not just in states that already have them. They're funding red flags in states that don't yet have them. And sadly, this again goes back to that 
Republican-assisted bill that passed into law last year. It was, uh, you know, had the support of John Cornyn, uh, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney. And uh, this is a real problem because these red flag laws throw due process out the window and can result in your losing your guns just based on an anonymous tip. I mean, you could get accused of being dangerous, maybe because of a political argument that you had, and you lose your guns before you even stand in front of the judge. The due process element is really concerning. Yes. So this is something that is sweeping the country with the White House's help, and that's something that we are fighting to keep that from being implemented. Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely does. We'll be watching that closely. Eric, for folks that want to get involved, that want to join Gun Owners of America, what's the best way to engage you, stay involved, support what you're doing? Absolutely. Find us on the web at gunownerswithans.org. Sign up for our free email alerts and also follow us on social media on you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That is great. Eric, we are always grateful for the time you spend with us. We get a solid update. We cover a lot of Second Amendment stories here at Just the News, but every time we get to talk to you, we learn things that we didn't know, and that's a great, great gift to us. We really want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Up after the commercial break, a fascinating new book by Mark Schifanelli, Freedom, Emotion, and Fascism, going to help you explain why so many liberal teens show more signs of depression, more signs of uncertainty and emotional turmoil than conservatives. This is actually studied by academics, and Mark has a good explanation for it. We're going to have that right after the commercial break. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, 
of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest, now this is a very impressive resume. Just think about this. He's a best-selling author. He's a lawyer. He was a 22-year Army Special Forces vet. Oh, and in his free time, he just happens to have time to be a school board president in Queen Hen, Maryland. Joining us right now, one of my favorite voices in the world of common sense today, Mark Schifanelli. Mark, great to have you on the show. John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I love your new book. A lot of people talking about it. We got a story coming up about it on, on Just the News the next couple of days. Freedom, Emotion, and Fascism, a Psycho-Sociological Analysis of the Modern American Progressive Movement. That's a lot of words, but when you boil it down, you've nailed what the psychological warfare of the left has become. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book. Well, that's uh, kind of a long story, but you know, like a lot of other Americans in 2016, especially after the uh, the election, um, you know, I began to notice that there was something emotionally uh, different in the progressives and the progressive movement. Um, I almost wanted to call it an emotional fragility. But um, uh, I was started paying attention to social media more around that time. And I was looking at some of the arguments uh, made by progressives, for example, for universal basic income just for an example. And, you know, why people supported that um, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I began to notice some of the recurring underlying emotional arguments that were made um, uh, for some of these progressive platforms. So anyway, uh, a few years later, 2019, uh, here in our, our county in Maryland, there was an argument about where to locate a new um, a homeless shelter. You know, the opioid epidemic was still in full swing. And uh, there was, you know, one, one uh, group of people were saying, well, it should be in the, the county uh, seat because that's where the uh, social services are located. The courts are there, the police department, you know, and, and uh, for any kind of services like that. The health department's there, the county health department. And it made logical sense. And uh, the other side was arguing, no, it has to be in this particular neighborhood, which um, is not affluent, but it, you know, it has a decent quality of life. It, it, it has its residents, all uh, parts of the economic spectrum. And, and so the argument there was, no, you people over here have it too good and you need to pay your fair share and have this homeless shelter there, you know, and, and it just kind of struck me as odd and yeah. And it, and it sort of sounded a little envious. Um, and so I just locked that away. 2020 came around and I started to take a deeper look and, and that conversation came back up and I started to research envy um, and the, the emotion of envy and that sort of thing. And, and, and sure enough, you know, um, really Marxism and uh, socialism began to appear in my research unpredictably, but um, 
but I just took it from there and, and sort of it, I let myself be led where that research took me. And it, the book is um, about political psychology of the progressive movement. In other words, rephrase, what is it about progressivism that is so attractive to the would-be progressive? Or phrase it another way, what emotion, emotional needs does progressivism uh, seek to satisfy? So I know that's a lot there, um, but basically, really, that, that's what it tries to answer the book. <laughs> that's an important conversation. And by the way, I think all of us begin to experience the same thing. You were recognizing, hey, there's something going on. There's a meanness. There's an anger. There's a more manipulative sort of version of liberalism. I have a lot of friends who are liberal, and I've taught uh, classes and with liberal professors, conservative professors. Everybody started to notice. I think you've taken this thought that maybe was rattling in the back of our head and, and literally slapped it into the frontal lobe and go, ah, that's it. That's what happened. There's a real consequence downstream from this. And I, I think your new article that you wrote, which really caught my attention and something we're, we're working on here at Justin News in the next couple of days, the impact on our latest generation. So our latest generation of children went through school systems and colleges and perhaps political groups and other things where liberals made it all out offensive for the hearts and minds of this the last two generations. You've noticed a consequence to that cycle. Tell us a little bit about what you found and what studies are beginning to find about the impact of the, the sort of the negative liberal thinking that's been injected into a lot of our young people. Right, exactly. So I actually came across uh, this just last week before I wrote the blog, of course. And I actually, uh, it was a Twitter um, uh, uh, review from a guy named Matthew Iglesias, who is a self-identified liberal. And he wrote an article, Why Are Young Liberals So Depressed? And it really caught my eye um, because obviously writing on political psychology, you know, I'd already published the book. Um, it sort of fit right into what I was writing about. And so in that article, um, you know, we have seen an increase in teen depression, adolescent depression since about 2005 it really has uh, began to increase. Now, of course, COVID, you know, being out of school and being virtual for a lot of the kids um, uh, increased that. But those rising levels were occurring as early as 2005. So in 2021, um, a uh, university research study came out called The Politics of Depression, Diverging Trends, Right, Internalizing Symptoms Among U.S. Adolescents by Political Belief. So the hypothesis was that um, teen depression could be um, identified or, I guess, exacerbated by political belief, by their worldview, political worldview. And they broke it down between liberal and conservative. And they found that out of 86,000 high school students that you know, were provided information, uh, self-identified as one way or the other, liberal or, uh, or conservative, that liberal females were the group with the most significant depression. And that was followed by liberal males. And so it's odd because conservative females were less depressed as a group than liberal males. And of course, at the top, the only group left was uh, conservative males. They were less depressed than, than the rest. And so looking at the, those figures in that division, they are concluding that literally liberal ideology either creates a depression in, in these teens or, and they didn't say this, but it could be the reverse, that 
persons who are susceptible to depression could be more attracted to a liberal ideology. And I threw that in myself, but, um, you know, based on my own research. Common sense deduction, for sure. Sure. So it, it was very interesting. I, I wrote the blog. Um, I studied the study. And, uh, of course, Matthew Iglesias is, is, as well, because it's interesting that a, a liberal would be writing this, you know, um, sort of kind of surprising. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, and when I read that, when you, you, you can find the, the uh, extract or the abstract of the study, um, and they, they cite other studies, of course. But it turns out that, uh, you know, these academics have, have noticed also that even in adulthood, that uh, conservatives, and they, oh, they go so far as to say Republicans generally and Democrats on the other side, tend to be more self-satisfied or satisfied with life than Democrats and those of left and center. So it, it's all very strange. Political psychology is, um, you know, it, it's sort of an emerging field. It's been around for decades, but still, you know, psychology itself is, is still young, modern psychology. Um, but, uh, but it's an interesting re uh, read. If, if you want to go to the blog, you can find it at uh, uh, freedomandfascism.org. And then you can find the sites as well. And of course, you can find information on my book, which is available on Amazon as well. Yeah, absolutely. A good read, an important read. So back in December, there was published a significant amount of research from Columbia University. The title of this study came out in December in a peer-reviewed magazine, The Politics of Depression, Diverging Trends and Internalizing Symptoms Among U.S. Adolescents by Political Beliefs. And here are the three big findings that we pulled out from it. Liberal girls are more prone to depression than more conservative girls. Conservative boys are the least prone to depressive symptoms of any category. Liberal boys appear to be considerably more depressed than conservative girls. So broke it down there. And it, one of the factors it weighed in, it said it appeared to be a statistically significant influence, was the role that social media played in the tone of liberal politics versus conservative politics and social media reinforcing maybe some of the other personal traits that led people to depression. This falls right in line with everything you've been talking about, writing about the role of social media is so important. And we're now beginning to hear a lot of our intelligence community say, hey, TikTok is really a problem. TikTok feeds Chinese young people really positive, affirming, academic, achievement-oriented messages. And it feeds American teenagers the biggest garbage they can to confuse and create doubt and anger and division. So maybe a, a nation state behind one effort on social media. But as you analyze what's been going on, what did you find the role of social media Media is in this influence on our children? Well, I guess there's different ways to look at it. Um, social media, just in general, I, I think is, um, or from what I understand, really doesn't affect uh, well-being, mental well-being, you know, that sort of thing, um, technology. But what has happened is there's so much access to political viewpoints, to political news, commentary, et cetera, et cetera, since about 2005. You know, uh, even before that, of course, with the Internet and the kids are just more exposed to it now with the development of the iPhone and, and everything else. Um, TikTok is obviously a problem. And there is a much, much bigger picture here. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm not going to go into too much, but it's almost like the progressive movement is sort of a tool. The modern progressive movement is sort of a tool for a bigger uh, uh 
really global initiative that's going on. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories and that kind of thing, but there, there is something that the U.S. Army War College has uh, identified years ago as uh, a plutonic, uh, uh, plutocratic insurgency. And you can just say, in short, globalism. And, and it is recognized that it, it could be a threat to national security. And of course, China is a player in that. They're a, a, a emerging power, and they want to uh, reform the the world's power, you know, structure and deplace the United States as as the leading power. That's quite obvious. And using TikTok, like you said, to confuse kids, um, to divide us, to further divide us um, by race, by sex, whatever. It's not a new theory. It goes all the way back to uh, critical Marxism in the 1930s and 1940s you know, that, that came out of Europe um, and over to the United States. So there's a bigger picture there. Uh, the book that I wrote does talk about how that's critical Marxism and uh, cultural Marxism creeped into the United States from pre-war Germany and uh, by the communists, you know, who fled, ironically, the Nationalist, Nationalist Socialist Party <laughs> in Germany. Um, and so it does provide a history of that, but yeah, there's, there's a, certainly a bigger picture here and, and China has nefarious aims. It, it's quite clear. Sure. Yeah. There's not any doubt about it. We see it every day now and whether it's floating a balloon across our sky, imposing bad thoughts on TikTok to our children or showing aggression in the South Pacific seas, China clearly has a beef with the United States that is not going to end anytime soon. I love freedom of motion and fascism. Folks, if you haven't had a chance, go to Amazon, go to every place books are sold, go get a copy. of this. this is a very important read, and it brings a lot of wisdom from a lot of different corners into a very, very compelling argument. Mark, people will say, all right, I bought this now. You know what? I've been thinking this in the back of my head. You brought it to the frontal lobe. I, I agree on this. Now the question is, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an adult or a sibling with a younger generational sibling, what are some of the things that can be done to intervene, to try to tip the balance so that we don't end up with an 80% depressed generation a few years from now? John, it's a million dollar question. Um, I'm not sure if I've got the answer or if there is an answer. Um, you know, it, it certainly is going to be multifaceted from you know, whatever your relationship is with young people, you know, and unfortunately I've seen young people, college days and, and even younger adults, you know, um, that have been indoctrinated literally by the progressive mentality to cut off their parents completely because their parents are, you know, Republican or, or uh, conservative. And, it, and it, it really is sort of uh, rings of like a sect, you know, and, um, uh, and, and it has been referred to as like a new religion, really. It, it almost replaces uh, some of the um, uh, needs that religion fulfills in, in people's you know, psyche. But um, yeah, as far as kids, I mean, you really, I got three boys and, uh, and two of them are in ROTC right now. They're, you know, they're very mentally stable. Thank God for that. Um, and we've always had discussions at the dinner table uh, wherever they were always open and frank about, um, you know, current events and that sort of thing. And to be able to see through arguments and, uh, and to poke holes in, you know, really progressive and liberal arguments, because it's very easy to, to do. Um, once you understand what's going on, you know, and, and, and how things work and, 
you know, and to use logic, which is one reason why progressives love to shout down everybody else because they're ultimately their arguments are, are so fallible that they've literally got to shout down everybody to keep them from speaking because they can't in the end compete with logic and reason. And, uh, and that's why you see a lot of times, you know, shouting down Mr. Kirk and, uh, uh, just recently at, at the law school in Stanford. Violence, more than shouting down. You know, it, it's it's really a disgrace. But but that's their main tactic. So talk to your kids, you know, early and and let them know that they're not racist. They're not responsible for slavery. You know, they shouldn't feel guilt for this. And in the book, I, I do talk about this. I call it a faux guilt that progressives seem to enjoy um, you know, feeling guilty for something that they had nothing to do with. You know, usually when you feel guilty for something, you're responsible for whatever it is that was was done, you know, wrong, wrongfully done. Um, and so it, it's very odd behavior. But but as far as, you know, that it, it's really with the kids um, get literally getting to them first and and letting them know that, you know, whether it's teachers or other adults or influencers, are going to be trying to to take you down the wrong road. So that's my two cents. <laughs> Those are some wise words. I think a lot of parents and siblings nodding their head when they hear you say that. It's funny, the politics of optimism was always a winning recipe. Bill Clinton was very optimistic in 92. People fell in love with him. Ronald Reagan, the ultimate optimist in modern politics. The last maybe 10 or 12 years, the politics of negativism has surpassed the politics of optimism. And it's very interesting to see that spread through because I think the tilting of the tone in politics has matched the tilting of the tone in social media, in literature, maybe even in our own schools. And I think you're onto a big thing, Mark, that a lot of people are talking about now. And I think anyone who hasn't read this book, you got to go get it. It's a great read. And you walk away beginning to realize that there's a much larger societal thing. We got to get on top of very quickly. We got to reverse this freedom, emotion, and fascism, a psychosociological analysis of the modern American progressive movement. Get that book. You will not be disappointed. It's a great read. And also read his new article, Young Liberals and the Politics of Depression. Tomorrow on Just the News, we're going to have a follow-up article on that Columbia story I told you about and some of the other developments. We'll, we'll have Mark quoted in that as well. Mark, great honor to have you on. We love everything you're doing. Can't wait to get you back on the show real soon. John, great honor for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to round out the conversation today with how Joe Biden's big government spending played a contributing role in the failure of the banks. Obviously, the bank executives have primary responsibility. They're going to have to answer for their activities. But big spending equals big inflation. Big inflation equals big interest rates. Big interest rates equals big downturn in the vulnerable sectors of innovation and technology, which, of course, were the investments that brought down banks like Silicon Valley Bank. Mike's going to make sense of all that, much more sense than I did right after the commercial break. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free 
app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mic. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeartRadio app. Radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeartRadio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeartRadio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeartRadio app. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Uh, a lot of discussion about the Biden administration's extraordinary actions this last few days as two banks, uh, both with some woke background, went belly up as a result of the interest rates that I guess they didn't prepare for, even though it was obvious interest rates are going to have to go up to fight inflation. Well, our next guest, he is one of the true experts in the financial sector. He currently works at the America First Policy Institute. You see him all the time. In fact, I saw him up last week with Speaker McCarthy. He's a everywhere these days. He is Mike Falkender. It's good to have you back on, Mike. Great to be with you, John. I want to get to some of the legislative priorities we got to get done to keep this company running, but I want to start with the bank crisis because it seems as though the bank crisis, the two failures that occurred, really are the end result of all the spending that Joe Biden has put on the table. It rose inflation. The Fed went to raise interest rates. And for some reason, banks who know that interest rates are the only tool to fight inflation didn't seem to openly prepare for an era of high interest rates. Tell us how this really leads back to Joe Biden. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got it right, John. What basically happened was that uh, the pandemic hit, interest rates went to zero. You had banks believing that the Fed was going to be able to permanently contain inflation. And so they put their money into longer term treasury bonds even though they were funded by short-term deposits. And so they locked in kind of 0.5% interest rates on 10-year bonds during the financial crisis. And then when Biden came into office and carried out the massive amount of spending with the uh, American Rescue Plan, we saw inflation start to take off in March of 2021. As we have discussed before, it hit more than 9% inflation uh, last year. And the result of that is that the Fed has had to aggressively raise interest rates. Well, if you're a bank or you're an investor and you lock in a 0.5% rate of return, 
in a 4% interest rate environment, you're sitting on massive losses. And so the value of their assets declined significantly because of the rise in interest rates that was induced by all of the inflation. They didn't have enough capital to absorb those losses, which meant if the federal government did not step in, it meant that depositors were going to start taking losses. And so that's why those banks failed. It really is just a complete failure of both bank management, but also as well as regulator management. Um, I mean, the idea that the regulators were not monitoring the interest rate exposure of the banks that they regulate really is an entire indictment of the whole Dodd-Frank regulatory regime. And that's the most ironic thing, of course, is because who is it that's a board member of Signature Bank but Barney Frank himself? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was the one that actually uh, was involved with that bank and also uh, arguing for the deregulation of his own bill, right? He, in 2018, he was the guy behind the deregulation. Joe Biden tried to get away with a fast one yesterday. He absolutely was. because, and, and it was the right thing to do because, as I've reminded people, neither Signature Bank nor SBB were systemically important institutions, right? So the, the whole premise of a systemically important institution is that if they were to collapse all on their own, it would bring down the entire payment system with them, right? So we can think of a couple very large banks that a significant portion of the American economy's daily transactions run through. If they were to fail, it would potentially harm the entire U.S. economy. If Signature by itself fails or if SVB by itself fails, you know, and the Fed hadn't intervened, then, okay, we would have seen some tech companies take some haircuts on the amount of money they had sitting in their checking account. It would not have brought the entire U.S. economy to a halt. These banks were not systemically important. So this has nothing to do with us saying, you know, it's fewer banks that are systemically important during the Trump administration that should get these extra regulatory oversight. And as you said, Barney Frank himself, author of Dodd-Frank, supported this redefinition so that it didn't catch smaller banks that are not systemically important in that definition. And so when the president went out yesterday and blamed this, not on his own failure, but instead tried to deflect to this bipartisan bill that passed during the Trump administration, it once again demonstrates the lack of seriousness with which this administration approaches bank regulation and bank oversight. It is remarkable to see the efforts by this administration. They're two years into this, and yet they're still trying to blame Donald Trump for things that are clearly the result of their own policies. And I want to extend this out because you just did such a great job describing how the inflationary pressures caused by Joe Biden spending ultimately led to the bank collapses. So what does Joe Biden do in the last week? He submits a record budget request of $6.8 trillion in more spending. Does he not realize that he just put a giant gasoline tank in the middle of this fire? Uh, your thoughts on the spending request? Obviously, it's dead on arrival with Republicans. But what is the ultimate impact of Joe Biden signaling he doesn't want to stop spending? Right. It, and your analogy is entirely correct. We've already got a fire raging. Let's throw another tank of gasoline on it because we can't learn that the excessive spending is what created the inflation in the first place. It's tripling down on stupid as far as I can tell. It just demonstrates that there's no willingness. And, it, you know, the conclusion that I have come to is that it's just become a religion among some of them. Empirical evidence of the failure of their policies just does not cause them to update their approach because they are just so ideologically committed 
to this idea that ever greater involvement of government in our lives is the solution to every problem. You know, I, I've mentioned to a few people sometimes that it doesn't matter what the challenge is. For a progressive, the solution is always the same. It's bigger, more government spending, more control by the elites. The excuse for that approach is just marketing. So whether it's climate change, whether it's the whether it's the poor, whether it's racial justice, whether it's public health, the solution of a progressive is always the same. We need more control by an elite set of people. We need to tax the American people more. We need to spend your money more because we can run this country better than you. And so every single challenge facing the nation, the solution is always the same. It's more centralized government. And what have we seen as a result of the growth in government? We've seen increases in inflation. We've seen reductions in economic growth. We've seen reductions in real wages. It, it's time for the American people to take back their country and pursue, once again, America first policies that put the American people at the forefront of policymakers. Yeah, it is so remarkable to see. You had a great summary of the America First Policy Institute's advocacy for why we got to make the tax cuts permanent, the Trump tax cuts. If they expire, this economy goes into a little bit more pain, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, the whole premise behind the tax cuts is that the American people are better stewards of their own money, that if we put in place the right incentives, businesses will choose to invest and hire here in the United States rather than abroad that by allowing the American people to keep more of what they earn, they're more likely to be in the workforce, to be taking a lot of those job openings that are out there, and that we need to, instead of providing people with more social benefits, we need to provide them with more of their own money when they work. And those are the things that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did. As you mentioned, some of those provisions have started to expire. Many more of them expire in 2025. So it's incredibly important that we advocate for their renewal so that once we get spending under control, we also have a tax system that encourages growth and dynamism here in the United States. Yeah, and it's important to note that in 2022, we had a record amount of tax collections. I think it was $5.2 trillion, if I remember correctly. I mean, we still spent more than that, so we still went into debt despite that. But that growth in tax revenue was actually a result of the tax cuts growing the economy, according to CBO. So lower taxes seem to bring more tax revenue into the government. It's a remarkable thing. It kind of proves what Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump both preach. And that's why I think this campaign to make sure the tax cuts don't expire is going to be so, so important over the next few weeks. What do you think? That's right. And it's not. And for those who reject that, you know, the fact that you provided and say, oh, well, that's just because of inflation. No, even if you look at a percentage of the overall economy, so take out the inflation effect. And as I recall, it was the third largest tax revenue on record as the percentage of the economy. That's right. So this notion that if we allow the American people to keep more of their money, that we are going to end up with less revenue is actually proven false because if the growth that you induce offsets the reduction in rates, you actually have a bigger economy and both the government and the American people are better off as a result. Wow, there's no, no doubt about it. Last quick question before we let you go. Uh, you were with Speaker McCarthy last week, the bipartisan bill protecting retirement savings American workers. I know you were a big advocate behind that. How important is that for the American worker? It's incredibly important. The weaponization of finance to buy, to uh, bypass the legislative and constitutional process for making economic policy decisions in this country really needs to be stopped. 
It should not be woke fund managers who are using other people's money to enact their policy preferences that overrides policy decisions that are made by Congress and the American people. And so we should not allow these fund managers to be engaging in the corporate governance process at companies to impose new climate regulations or new diversity requirements or transgender bathrooms, uh, even though the people whose money that belongs to don't favor those positions. We really should allow policymaking to be taking place by our elected representatives. That's what makes us a strong democracy. And when we try to bypass that using people's funds in their retirement accounts, we sacrifice energy security, we sacrifice economic security, we sacrifice national security, and we sacrifice retirement security. You really get a strong sense of why Mike's work is so closely followed by policymakers all across this country. Check out his good work at the America First Policy Institute. Of course, he's also done extraordinary work at the University of Maryland. He is a great treasure to our economic thinking in this country. Mike, great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, John. Great to be with you again. Yeah, a lot of fun. Great conversation, my friend. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So glad you could join us. A big thank you to Eric Pratt. Mark Schifanelli and Mike Falconer, three really engaging conversations, big ideas, big concerns, and a lot of facts to weigh into your everyday equation when you go to the dinner table, the water cooler, even the boardroom. That's our goal. Give you facts that you make up your own mind. You make your decisions about what you want to do. That's what we're about at JustTheNews.com. John Solomon reports. And of course, the TV show, Just the News, No Noise, every night, 6 p.m. on Real America's Voice. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll have another great show tomorrow, maybe a big scoop tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. Under my byline, I think we're going to have something good for you on the Hunter Biden front. So buckle your seatbelt. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash Victor, taxnetworkusa.com slash Victor. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities, helping their local communities, while also using their giving account 
to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor advice fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advice fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews.